Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready Friends, for some awesome. Welcome back to the podcast. We hope that you had a Merry Christmas. I'm here with someone that I just celebrated Christmas with, my father. Merry Christmas, Luke, and to all your listeners. Thanks, Dad. And Happy New Year as well. Yeah, it's it'll be New Year when this thing comes out, uh, or just about. Uh, so what we're going to do today is we're going to do the wrap-up podcast, and I don't think Stormont's going to join us this time. He might come in at the end, I don't know. But uh, we've got the sponsor who's going to talk to us, do a little mini-interview like I typically do with our sponsors. And so special thanks for, um, you know, Christmas presents because of the sponsor uh, from my daughters. And then we're going to come back and my dad and I are going to do the wrap-up thing. So uh, here's our sponsor. Be on for a couple minutes and then we'll be right back. All right, now welcome to the show, Boyd Barrett of Come and See. Welcome. Hey, how you doing, Luke? I'm doing good. So I've enjoyed talking about this project all month. Uh, the idea of creating like this audio treatment for the Gospels, fascinating idea. Where, where did this idea initially come from? Oh gosh, that, you know that's a that's a huge question. And before I, before I answer that though, I want to tell you, and I I think I mentioned this to you before, that I grew up in the Church of Christ just like you uh-huh. did. Uh, I'm I'm a little older than you by about thirty years or a so, couple. but um, but I and and we even went to the same school. You're at ACU, I went to yeah. ACU yeah. as well. Yes, and what I. What I want to tell you is that I'm I'm so happy to see what you and other young leaders in the in the Church of Christ are doing. I'm no longer actually in the Church of Christ, but it's still it's still dear to my heart, and I'm I'm glad to to see what you guys are doing. So uh, thank you for oh. that and keep it up. Yeah. Oh well, thank but, you. But to thank answer you. your <laughs> yeah, oh absolutely um, oh and by the way your book. I, I love your book. I'm in the middle of it. Uh, my, my favorite line so far is, and you're talking about, uh, you know, how to deal with some of these questions. You said, this doesn't mean we let go of God. It means we let go of our ownership of what God is. I love that. Oh. Love it. Well, thank you. I, um, I feel like this interview yeah. is going really well so far. <laughs> uh, well, as far as come and see, you know, I've been, uh, like I say, I'm quite a bit older than you, so I've been t- telling the story of Jesus in some shape, form, or fashion for about 50 years. And I always like to do it in a creative way. Uh, I used to travel with a group. In fact, some of your older Church Christ listeners might even remember, I used to travel with a group called His Players. Huh. And uh, that was, you know, people that were out of ACU, so... You know, some people might remember that, mm-hmm. but I've I've done all kinds of things on stage and film and that kind of thing. But I, I started finding out about audio and audio drama specifically, and I absolutely loved the idea of a surround sound 3D version of the life of Jesus, where where I could drop somebody in it, drop the listener who could put on headphones, put on earbuds and close their eyes and become part of the scene. Mm-hmm. So that was the, the, the start of it. And then it, it just grew from there. I, I, I thought, you know, why not? Because we all talk about how the life of Jesus is important. You know, all of us, everybody, even even people who don't say they follow him, they know that it's an important life. But those of us who do follow him, do we really do we really know what it would be like to <laughs> to be in his presence on the earth when when he was here and 
and see that as a whole. And I think it's important for us to see the whole thing put together and then say, okay, here's here's this incredibly important life. What am I going to do with it? Yeah. That's, you know, that's really the bottom line. Yeah, what do you think the experiential difference is of having this sort of auditory experience compared to just reading the words off a page? Well, I, I think... Um, you know, there there have been over the years. I, you've probably heard of Lectio Divina, and and then the uh, where and the uh, Ignatian exercises. Some of the Ignatian exercises, Ignatius of Loyola, it was exactly this. It was to take the life of Christ and to experience it not with just with your mind, but with your senses. Mm-hmm. And that was something that was part of what he taught. And I think this is this is that on steroids. It really gives you that ability to be dropped right in, so all of your senses can uh, can experience it. What do you think the ideal way for someone? I don't want to say consume, but to to have this experience. Is it like I'm doing this while I'm taking the dog for a walk? Do I have to sit down and be still and kind of like turn everything off and just like check into this? How yeah. do you think people the, should consume it? I, you know, I, I wouldn't listen to it at all. Like if you're in the car or or doing anything else, I think the ideal is to, like I say, put on headphones, earbuds, close your eyes, get somewhere, and just. It's experience it because you're gonna you're going to hear things all the way around. It even starts with a, a an insect flying around your head while you're listening to John the Baptist in the distance. And um, but but I want it to be immersive. That's why mm-hmm. I call it that. Uh, and it's immersive because the the uh, the accents are slightly Middle Eastern. The the names are are not what we normally think of. Um, and so I hope it immerses someone in it. But I, so I'd, I'd, I'd rather someone do it by themselves. Now, the thing is, right now, uh, we have three chapters of the first volume already available. And they can listen to those, you know, one at a time. It's going to come out one chapter at a time. Eventually, when the whole thing is there... I think the ideal thing would be to take a day or a weekend or whatever and just immerse yourself completely in the life of Jesus because every every word that's in the four gospels that that Jesus said every action that Jesus did in the four gospels is in this with an overarching narrative. Wow, that sounds great. And people can learn more by going to come and see audio.com. And mm-hmm. yes. three available, more will be released as they go, and there is a discount Absolutely. for our listeners right now. If you type in Luke, there is, you get 25% mm-hmm. off, is that right? That's right, 25% from 20 to $15. And I, I did want to mention, a because deal. a lot of your listeners know Brad Jerzak. Brad is mm-hmm. our, um, our script consultant, and oh. I, uh, he's, he's been invaluable in helping me contextualize some things. Oh, that is a great reminder. Boyd, thank you for the time. Thanks for dropping in. And uh, I hope my listeners are going to check out uh, Come and See Audio. Okay. All right. Dad, it's been a while since you've been on the podcast. It's, I, I don't even know the last time you've been on. And it's definitely been too long if I don't even know when it was. Yeah, I, I don't remember when it was either, but it was before I retired. Yeah, and now you're in the retirement phase, which means contractually we no longer have to have Richard Beck on. <laughs> and say anything nice about his books. He's got a book about Johnny Cash, which I'm not going to talk. I mean, who cares? He's not your boss anymore. We don't have to like 
do free promotion for him. It feels like in some ways the Berlin Wall has been torn down, communism has been defeated, and now you're set free. You know, I may be free, but I still only am going to say good things about Richard Beck. <laughs> oh, that's that's very magnanimous of you. <laughs> I would expect nothing but the last. But also, that might be but did you, <laughs> Stockholm Syndrome. In regard to Stockholm, uh, Stockholm Syndrome, syndrome yes. no, uh, he was not my persecutor, and no, I haven't overly identified with him. But uh, speaking of Richard Beck, have you uh, read his blog about... Um, um, Oh, goodness, I am really sorry. (laughs) Again, you don't have to be nice to him. Yeah, what is the skating uh, sport that women do... And they try to knock each other down. And oh, the roller derby roller stuff? Roller derby. Yeah, they don't have, like, it's not on ice skates because there's no blades on it, which can make it pretty dangerous. Right. But I don't, I think I've missed that one. What do you say about it? Well, apparently he took his kids when they were younger to uh, a roller derby contest. And he, he was very good about making a distinction between there's at least two variations of roller derby there's some that's more of an athletic support and there's some that maybe the the women are not dressed in the ways that you would want gotcha. other women to be but okay so he probably took his kids to the athletic endeavor absolutely and he was uh praising it because it's one of the few sports that was developed by women and later men have adopted the sport so normally i think what he was saying is it's the other way around so richard is an advocate for women well that's good how do you feel like (laughs) when you think of athletic endeavors that you took your kids to that are I mean, similar to roller derby, uh, such as pro wrestling. I was going to go, I'm not sure pro is the right, uh, WrestleMania, I think that's uh, fake, but uh, it is professional sports, maybe. Very similar to that. Yeah. I mean, you know, people who are fake fighting each other, fans watching. Exactly. I got to see the Ultimate Warrior run down the... Uh, the Spectrum, which was the old 76ers basketball arena. So right. Good times. That was amazing. And you had his poster in your bedroom. I do. Yeah. I, I still. It's weird that Lindsay's let me leave it up. <laughs> but it's, it's pretty amazing. So welcome back to the podcast. Retirement's treating you well. It is. It is. It's uh, been quite a transition since uh, 1950. None of your listeners really care about this, but I'm just filling in space here. But since <laughs> 1955... This is the first fall, uh, excuse me, this is, uh, I, I, there have been two falls that I did not go to school, mm-hmm. and so I've had two falls off since 1955, so this is my third. Now, I hear people talking about retirement like it's a big deal, and I just think, yeah, just not going to work, that would be awesome, and you just wouldn't have to work, and... Yeah, you just wear sweatpants every day and watch the Cowboys and do whatever you want. Is that basically retirement? Not really. What what is the <laughs> it's a it's a life stage thing though. It is this Absolutely. second half of life kind of in some ways it's one of the few um like in I don't know if it's initiation, but it's like one of the few like demarcating phases in our culture. Like you stop working. That is a major shift that people have, whereas we don't have a ton of those other ones out there. What do you think is the, what is the question that it's causing people to ask when you have to, or when you get to be retired? 
for me, the, the one of the big questions is um, how do you shift from an emphasis on being productive to getting to reevaluate your priorities and decide how you want to use your life um, and knowing that on one sense you don't have to always be in the mindset of producing something. Yeah. Which that doesn't make a whole lot of sense in a culture like ours that's pretty geared towards production and achievement. So, yeah, I, I think in in some ways that is. I, I've heard people describe it as terrifying. Uh, I I had a guy uh, uh, from my church tell me in one of my lunch groups a while back that when he was fifty one, his company said, "We're giving you full retirement. You're done uh, five years earlier than you expected," and. He, he, I think in my lunch group, he actually had scared the hell out of me. But I, I can't imagine it being anything but a heavenly experience of, oh, you get, you don't have to go to work early. Like, you don't have to go to work. You get full retirement. You're still getting paid five years extra retirement. How great would that be? But I guess it's not because it's asking some more substantial questions of who you are, identity, and all that. Um, well, it can be a loss of identity. And society sometimes sees people that are retired as being invisible. Mm-hmm. For me, I think. Uh, the fact that one day a week I still see clients uh, helps me to maintain my professional identity, uh, gives me good reason to uh, to continue to read and be prepared to be as helpful as I can for people that I'm working with. I don't get the idea of waking up and not having something to do. Mm. Now, my situation's different. And I'd be glad to follow up a little more personally if you want to talk about how I use my time. But uh, that's kind of up to you whether you ask more questions. But I have not found any difficulty finding things that I want to do. When I look at uh, the the, uh, adult uh, stage of life of retirement, right around that time, there is a big peak in generativity, wanting to gen, uh, be generating new productive kinds of tasks. And I've felt pretty good about letting go a lot of that. And that's been nice. Did you listen to the Parker Palmer podcast I did a while back? Because his book was entitled uh, On the Brink of Everything. And it was uh, someone who's in his 80s. And he's kind of like a Richard Rohr-ish kind of person, uh, spiritual writer, and he talked about aging, like how do you, not just aging, not retirement, but like how do you face death? And one of his big things was l- learning to g- to give away and to to be generous to the next generation and to and to pass things down. And I one of the things that that I unfortunately I see is y- you get older and you feel like church isn't geared to you anymore because it's geared true, towards families true. and kids. Yeah. And you feel like, well, I don't have kids anymore. I don't feel like I have a place here. And instead of like giving yourself away and finding a way to, to be generous to the next generation, mm-hmm. you find yourself going, but I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting what I need. I'm not getting it. And, and so in some ways you revert back to being a child because a childlike attitude is, what about me? What do I get to watch? What do I get to do? What do I get to experience? And I, I feel like the move of wisdom is to say, no, I'm, I'm giving away that uh, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it, right? And so these people mm-hmm. are trying to like save my control, my power. Uh, as they age, they find themselves losing the very thing they want, which is meaning and connection and purpose when the way of Jesus has always been about like giving that away. And yes, I did listen to that podcast. <laughs> 
And I have found myself looking for opportunities to try to help other people. Uh, my home congregation is going through a major transition about uh, expanding women's roles. And for me, I'm thinking about my granddaughters, your daughters, mm -hmm. and thinking, oh, how can I help prepare them? What can I give to them? And that's where that issue becomes real for me. I do not want to see them limited. I don't want them uh, to, to have to deal with being second-class citizens. I went to graduation uh, in December at ACU, Abilene Christian University, and as a, as a faculty member, and again, I finished 42 years of teaching, I didn't always like to go to graduation. I didn't even have to go this time, and I wanted to go because I had a graduate assistant, my last one now, who's finishing up, and I, I wanted to be encouraging to her. I had some of my other students contact me and say, hey, we're going to be going to graduation. Can we see you? And it's like, yes, I'd like to do that. And we even had a, uh, the day after we had a meeting, had a, a, a brunch, and I've, I really felt that was a great opportunity to, for me to kind of pass on wisdom to, I guess, my last group of, of students. Yeah, that's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. Well, uh, let's jump into the podcast. Okay, I Shall thought we? we were already in. Well, we're, we're no, like into the podcast for the month, like oh, doing yes. the wrap-up of the month. So are you going to say get ready for some... Awesome. No, I mean, if you want to, I mean, Jonathan... Nah, I, I we'll let Jonathan's voice. Yeah, I don't know. He's he's in Arkansas. He's doing something. I don't know. I think they were, uh, I think they were digging like the, the, the telephone poles, which they're going to run electricity <laughs> to their house. Or maybe it's the, the plumbing. Machine? Yeah, the tele I don't know what it is, but I'm really excited that oh. whatever sort of technological advance they get, it will be well appreciated. So they're putting away the smoke... Um, mm -hmm. Smoke signals. Signals. Yeah. That's typically how we communicate. Like that's basically a text message for Jonathan. <laughs> is a smoke signal. Okay. Uh, so we had uh, Jason Miller. You've heard Jason on the podcast. He's been on a few times. I you, have. He's, I have. He's the young man that uh, we went to Israel to get dad with your legal d paper <laughs> folding right there in the background. You just do it. It's like ripping off. Uh, like it's when you're opening a. A bag? There it is. There it was. Thank you. Sorry. You've got notes on this. I appreciate that. Yeah. You're prepared. Well, You're responsible. No, I'm not prepared, but I did write a few notes. You got notes. So Jason was on, and he had a guy who is the lead singer of a band called 10th Avenue North, which I'm assuming you've never heard of 10th Avenue North, have you? I hadn't, and I yeah. intended to at least listen, listen to it. So the, the thought counts. Okay. Okay, so one of the things that they talked about is... The, his new album is like all the stuff I can't say. And so he is the lead singer of a band that had the most listened to Christian song last year, whatever. Um, I think it was 2018. So this last year and the new albums talking about like things that a Christian musician typically isn't allowed to discuss. And what, you know, one of the things is like being attracted to other women when you're married. And he, he, he tells one story of, uh, he's been on the road for a while. He's not around his wife and his kids. Someone asks him how he's doing and he's trying to be like more authentic and transparent as a person. He says, yeah, I'm kind of sad. I miss my, I miss my wife and kids. And someone's like, we should be sad. And so these very human emotions in some ways are suppressed by these, by like by this leadership figure that can't be too helpful for anyone involved. No. And 
I'm not sure, though, that you're qualified to have this discussion, considering you're a number seven. Oh, Dad, throw in some Enneagram shade. <laughs> but uh, don't you identify as a seven, or are we just... Oh, yeah, yeah. Are, are no, you? I do, and I can relate to it. That uh, There are many <laughs> things that I do not talk about, uh, mm-hmm. because I consider it to be private. Uh, there, but is, hold on, but... Do, okay. The, I think your privacy is this is i'm just not going to share this because this is personal i think what he's describing is i would like to discuss this but there is a system around me which suppresses that for me which i think those are two different things i don't think you're being discreet out of a sense of like feeling pressured by someone that's just personality age whatever right right. This is like there's a system saying that now you're expected to be this pillar of Christianity. In some ways, like this is Richard Beck's metaphor of like the tent put, like the, the tent peg. Right. Like the, this is the tent pole that's holding this whole tent up, and Christianity is the tent. But but you as a Christian leader are holding this up. Therefore, you can't you can't be a, a person. You've got to be a, a a peg that holds this thing up. Again, I'm just kind of going off uh, what first comes into my mind, but I'm I'm thinking of a passage in James where it talks about confessing. You reference James like that's new. Oh, is it? Yeah, I've never heard no, you do that. Before. That's been one of my favorite books. Oh, well, of the New Testament. Yeah, but yeah, Job I mean, being the one in the Old Testament, of course. Yeah, Job, yeah, but uh, with James, when he talks about confessing. Uh, your faults one to another, there's a context in which it's, it appears to me that he's actually been talking about elders. And one of the ways that I have taken that over the years is that it is not always the most charitable thing to be completely open uh, about what's going on in your life because of uh, the weaknesses uh, or the the struggles that other people are going through. I know that's not really uh, all of what you're talking about, but to me that says there, there does need there, you need to have a certain level to, of discretion. Um, yep. Actually, we recently had somebody, and I won't go into all the details, but a person that came over and said, "Oh, I'm not really bipolar. I actually have PTSD because a couple of years ago I was raped." Well. That was the first time my wife, your mom, had met this person. Well, to me, that's a little bit too transparent. Uh, mm-hmm. And and so, uh, to me, I think there has to be some discretion. Yeah. On the other hand, uh, I do think it's a threat to other people, especially if they look at you as somebody who is strong, who is a spiritual leader, and you you open up, you confess your weaknesses to them, or it, they may not be really weaknesses. It's just part of our humanity. So yeah. again, I think discretion is part of it. On the other hand, I yeah, think we've things- gone way too far to the to the point to where we aren't able to be very open about our lives. One of the things that's happened in the American Christian culture recently is there have been a lot of well known figureheads who've had these scandals involving them that have shattered the lives of countless people. Churches have been severely damaged. And I wonder how much these two things are correlated Mm -hmm. is that there's an expectation for them to never confess and therefore everything they have is internalized. And as our friends in AA will tell us, we're only as sick as our secrets. And so you have the sickness that's, that's growing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so is it, um, 
you know, the biblical language of bring, bring things into the light, right? And so everything's just residing not in the light, but in the darkness. And so then the, the damage that would have been done by a leader talking more transparently about their struggles is, is not experienced because they're just suppressing this entire time. Right. Anyway, so, uh, so one of the things that uh, happened recently in another thing that happened is there's a popular Christian singer named Lauren Daigle, who she's outstanding. And she ha- she had uh, an album that came out and it's done really well. Now the backstory is her old manager is Jeff Barry, and Jeff was my first boss at Grace and played at our wedding, Lindsay and I's wedding, and uh, just a great guy. Um, and so he was used to be her manager, kind of helped her get her break, and she's transitioned to someone else recently. But uh, she's done so well that she got invited on to Jimmy Fallon and on to the Ellen Show. Okay. And so she's doing like yeah. very well like as a musician. Well, then Ellen caused many com- uh, questions about Lauren's view on LGBTQ and sexuality and sin. And she kind of gave a non-answer. And she said, I think everyone should read the Bible and you know make up their, their, their decision that way. And that was not a good enough answer for many people. And so she got a ton of criticism to the point where she was not even she was turning down all media and stuff so she's in austin two or three weeks ago and i had jeff reach out and the manager's like yeah she's not doing anything right now so not on the podcast because of ellen so thanks a lot ellen second of (laughs) all but like i I think that's kind of like that's the nature of when you can't let leaders be honest and these these people like mike donahue to have that sort of forthrightness, it it creates like this this dysfunctional relationship. But I, again, there's some balance of where's discretion and where's transparency, and I don't I don't have a solution for it, but it's there. Anyway, well, but I'm with you, and and on the one hand, I can relate to this as a professor and a psychologist. There are certain expectations people have mm-hmm. for a person who has functioned in those roles. And if I go outside of that, it violates some of their expectations. Part of that I accept is, okay, that is part of my job. That's, I, I know I'm kind of moving into a public arena, and therefore I have to accept uh, some of that responsibility. It would be great if it wasn't a threat to people if I were able to be more transparent in some of those ways. But yeah. on the other hand, which I, I see the correlation between where this dysfunction comes out in public figures, if I were just to hold all of my issues in privately, I think eventually it would take control. And so very deliberately, I've gotten a couple of guys that I've gotten together with uh, for probably 14-plus years on a weekly basis, and that's part of our relationship is to be open about those things and pray about it and... So, so again, I, I think public figures need to be proactive so that yep. they can continue to be open and honest with the right people and maximize their effectiveness in the public role. Yeah, I mean, that's what Scripture talks about, where uh, those of you who are teachers, you know, be careful because you will be judged extra heavily. I mean, there, there's a, a weight that you have to carry and you have to be responsible of that. And so I think one of the ways you do that is that you have – groups of people that you can be most connected to in a very transparent way where there's no weird leadership dynamics that prevent that sort of interaction. And honestly, that's one of the things that uh, Jeff Bethke talked about. So the the next guy on the podcast, 
Have you ever heard? You've never heard of him. There's no way you've heard of this guy, Jefferson Bethke. So he has this. Yeah, no, I never haven't heard, heard of him other than from your podcast. Of course. And he, so he had a uh, a YouTube video that went viral, had 30, 33 million views. When and, he was like 23 or yeah, something like that? Yeah, he's just a. Oh, that's incredible. College kid. And so I knew about him, and then all of a sudden, like, he, he has a book that uh, basically based off the video, becomes a New York Times bestseller, sells ton of copies and i had hadn't heard anything of him since then like I, I knew he was out there but i didn't like follow his work or anything and he's friends with annie downs who you know annie you I met annie yeah. and uh so we became internet friends and finally talked to him and i like that was one of the things i talked to him about is like when you become an uh you know an internet christian celebrity like what do you do and that's one of the things he said is that you know i've got to have groups of uh, a group of people or people in my life who i can be that transparent with and so I don't let this stuff kind of go to my head. Well, I bet his uh, internet uh, critics are really harsh, and I mean they're so uh, isolated they can say whatever they want. So yeah. to me, he, he would have to develop pretty thick skin early to, on to be able to maintain the right perspective through all that. Yeah, and I'm I definitely don't think I would have handled that well when I was 23. 23 like I was yeah. arrogant at 23 and I like I had no reason to be arrogant and now like, you do have reason to be arrogant <laughs> that's funny yeah but now I've got a family and so that doesn't really ever happen they don't that's part them. of the job of your family is to remind you of your humanity I yeah think. exactly uh, yeah they definitely do that yeah. in spades but uh <laughs> yeah so when his stuff came out like I remember watching it and you know there's a funny thing oh, who was this um Ah, yeah, I don't remember. Oh, no, no, I'm thinking I'm mixing someone up. Stormit wrote a piece critiquing Donald Miller, who is Donald Miller's a little bit older than Jeff when he had his big break, but he wrote this thing and had a piece about, uh, uh, Donald wrote a piece about how he finds God in nature, not in church services. And then Stormit wrote a piece critiquing him. And then like Donald Miller was at AC like the next week or week or two later, right after Jonathan had written a pretty outstanding timing. I wish, I don't think Jonathan wrote something about Jeff, but I, I think there's part of it is that you go, there's this kid and he's become this internet celebrity and best-selling book. And you go, what about me, man? What? Like you have these people who have been doing ministry for 20 years and they're like, how, how come I don't have that sort of influence and connection? And so it, it, the, the creek thing is always weird because there's always a degree of jealousy. Hmm. So I've got this. Uh, this guy's been on the podcast a few, few times, Zach Lynn, who's in a, a Jimmy agree. World in the band, and I've seen him talk about critics and like his like critics are always trying to impress other critics, and so there's a degree of criticism that it's not really about the thing, but it's still about it's about you and you're working out your issues and using the other person's art as your own like tapestry to work out your own stuff, which I think. That's psychology 101, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the you know, another thing about Jeff that I liked was the way he talked about technology and kids. Yeah. And being a grandpa, I'm kind of out of the loop a little bit of technology. Okay, I'm really out of, I'm not even, I don't know where the loop is, but anyway. I know, because in my book, one of my go-to jokes is how you sign your text dad. Yes. And I tell that joke, I've told it both, and it's always done so well. So I'm not saying I'm perpetuating the image that you don't know technology well, but 
Oh, I thought that was because you had short-term memory loss, and I was just trying to remind you Look who actually you. wrote the text. Thank you. That is, that's what it is. <laughs> I've had a few Yeah, anybody who's seen you uh, present one of your sermons, they know you've got an incredible memory. But anyway, well, thanks, but, but the idea of technology, I, you know, in terms of putting limitations and restrictions on it mm-hmm. and how uh, that actually we've had a history of technology that starts off without any uh, awareness of how there could be a downside of it. And he used the illustration of things like cars. That's the one that I really related to. I know he also mentioned coal, but I like the idea (laughs) of the cars that, Mm -hmm. that, uh, okay, at first you, you can, if you can pay for it, you've got a car and you don't have to worry about getting a driver's license. You don't have to worry about speed signs. Of course, you don't have good roads, so you're not going to be going very fast and they're not very reliable. So they're going to break down, but you don't need the technology in my lifetime, I it was uh, the first uh, cars that I drove did not have seat belts, and I remember the big controversy about well, it's my freedom to be able to not have to wear really? a seat. Oh yeah, what? and and the big discussion about yeah, but what if you flip over and you've got a seat belt on, and then you loosen it and you fall, land on your head and people break your make neck. arguments about how seat belts could be bad. Oh yeah, that you could get hurt more because That's of the funny. seat belt than not having. When it. when I was pole vaulting at ACU. Our coach had had a kid who fell off the back of the mat and laid on his head and died. Uh-oh. And so girls started pole vaulting when I was there, or the year before I got there. And so all girls wore helmets. Guys didn't wear helmets. Oh. We're like, oh, and like, not me, but there are some really good male vaulters who were going like four, four feet higher than the girls, and the girls were winning national championships. So they were very high-level athletes. But the guys wouldn't wear helmets even though they were higher in the air. Than the right, girls. Same right. sort of right. like same hubris. Thing. Not that I'm into rodeos, but the same kind <laughs> of thing about helmets. That the the younger guy, I, I, I assume, assume it's the younger generation, they feel more comfortable wearing helmets. But, but I had dreads when I did the rodeo. and <laughs> Oh, well, you had padding. And I still got the concussion. <laughs> but Okay, but that's the metaphor of technology. It's like that we, yeah. it's the Wild West where we're not, thinking restrictions are important or we don't need them and so we're just going to have this laissez-faire attitude about what we do with it and they can have yeah and 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 coming from someone who's a leadite who uh it's like okay but the younger generation is so much smarter i wouldn't even know how to put restrictions or limitations so i assume there are are many uh things that are out there for parents who can uh become savvy enough to put appropriate kind of restrictions or protections of technology. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's a, it's a question that I was not having, like you were not having asked the same question when I was a kid. I mean, it was, you don't have so much time in front of a TV or play video games and there are limitations on that. But the degree to which that is such a <clears throat> central part of not just like a kid's life for fun, but it's, it's part of school. There's interactive stuff that's required to, to be in front of a screen for them to get homework done. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's a great question. And even simple as not just kids, but but me and like how much I'm on my phone and how much I need to get away from it. And I, I remember I did a series on technology based off Andy Crouch's book, TechWise Family, which is a great book. And I had someone who's my age in one of my Thursday lunch groups 
talk about how she had to tell her mom, who's like your age, dad, right. to get off her phone at Christmas. Oh, my. Because the mom had gotten so addicted to it. Right. And like phones are addicting. Like the screen always wins. It's it's always easier. It's always more exciting than what's in front of you. And I mean, that's an overstatement, but it's always pulling you into the lie that there's something more exciting and more interesting on it. And it doesn't matter what age you are. Like, it can addict anyone. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, last night when we were at the restaurant and we saw three or four people at a table with their head <laughs> bowed, I thought they were praying. Yeah, they're not. They're they're. <laughs> They they are worshiping a deity, but it is not Yahweh or Jesus. It's it electronic. Is, it's technology. Technology. So yeah. yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, what was Jeff's thing about if something is free, then you're the product? Oh yeah, yeah. No, that comes from. Um, uh, I had a podcast with a guy. I think his name's Her- Tristan Harris, maybe Tristan, some who'd been on a while ago, and he said that where his thing about Facebook is you don't pay anything. You're not on Facebook, um, but you don't pay anything to be on Facebook. And so it seems like it's a free service. But but the line from Tristan Harris was, if you're not paying for something, that means you're not the consumer, you're the product. Yeah. And so Facebook is selling all of your data and your right. eyes right. to all the advertisers. And so you really are the product, not the consumer. Which, it, that's I, I, I said that, afterwards in a sermon and i had more people come up and say something to me about that line uh because it connected to them in the same way it connected to me like wow that is that's very insightful that's very insightful yeah and especially in light of elections and how they can be influenced by that kind of stuff and the way that changes people's opinions on on not just culture but the people in front of them and how they typecast them and put them in group it's just we are on the other side of seat belts and and uh, speed signs and all this awareness of how dangerous driving can be when used incorrectly with technology. I, I think Jeff had a great metaphor about that. Um, all right, let's transition. We've got two more to go. Um, what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about... Well, actually, there, there was one other thing about it, Jeff that, that I'm not limiting to what he said, but the idea about creating... Um, versus consuming oh yeah 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 and to me that that's pretty interesting and um you know to me it seemed like he was trying to find a ratio or a balance between consuming versus uh uh, creating yeah i'm not i'm not sure i would look at it as dichotomous categories Uh, i think they overlap in some ways so for example one if it's a two-parent family one parent might be primarily responsible for grocery shopping or clothing and so so on the one hand you might think oh that person is just consuming when in reality no they're actually uh trying to be creative for the family creating a a good environment a healthy diet uh, all of those kind of things i wonder if what he's talking about is sitting down in front of tv and watching that and i'm just consuming tv or i'm just staring at netflix on my ipad I, i think that's probably the kind of consuming he's thinking of okay and that would tie into the technology piece of it i also generalize that into just the whole idea of consuming products that uh it's more about buying something new rather than buying a product per se you consume it it you know it is yeah even even that language of going to the store and shopping like that's that's being in some ways removed from some people's life experience like today I, i was in the garage working out 
and the UPS guy brings up a product that I had purchased right. and I didn't, I never went to the store. I never, like it took me 90 seconds to find that, purchase it and have it delivered to my house. But yeah, so the, like the consuming shopping thing, it's not the same as just staring at, <laughs> staring at a TV. True, true, yeah. true. Okay. Anyway, um, okay. Do you want to talk about uh, Felina and contemplation? Or you want to talk about AJ and some church stuff? AJ first, I guess. Okay. So AJ is at Mars Hill, and you know that's where Rob Rob Bell started that church, and then Shane Hips was there, and then Kent Dobson, who'd been on the podcast before, <clears throat> the previous preachers, and I, I wish I would have talked about this more with him. The idea of this is a very prominent church; it had a lot of influence on a lot of people, especially you know when Rob was there. But the two guys that followed Rob are no longer like traditional preachers in the sense. I, th- I think Kent kind of is teaching some still, but Kent had this line that I think was his resignation sermon that he viewed himself as like on the outskirts of Christianity or some sort of metaphor along those lines. And he felt like uncomfortable when it, he was a spokesman for Christianity as being a pastor. And so it's weird that like both of those, like that's Rob too. I mean, obviously right, right. Rob's not there anymore. And so when a church has been built around being on the vanguard and kind of the cutting edge, how do you like turn it into an organization? Because it, it first starts kind of like a movement and then it becomes, Oh, we've got a building and we've got an elder board and we've got thousands of people who call this our church home. W- what happens when this revolution becomes an organization. Yes. Well, and, and once it becomes an organization, then it has to protect itself. So if you're yeah. on the cutting edge, uh, you are creating, you're your, uh, developing new things, it's exciting, but you're not having to maintain anything. And yeah. all of a sudden it becomes an organization, and it has traditions, it has expectations, it has norms, social norms, and if you start violating those, now you're you're undercutting yourself. Yeah, and the weirdest thing to me is he changed one of those norms by going communion every week, Eucharist every Sunday, right? which is a Church of Christ person. I can't imagine that being a bad thing. Like <laughs> We once had a typo where it wasn't included on the order of worship in mm. one of the, uh, for one of the services, and someone was upset about that. They're like, obviously it was just a typo like i i we didn't oversee when i just a type and people like at least one person was upset by that i can't imagine the opposite of people not wanting to take it every week right right well and that's been obviously our background that in the churches of christ that has been one of the quote-unquote acts of worship i'm really glad for that tradition Mm -hmm. i think it is supported from biblical examples um and so, to me, I can't imagine not wanting to take the Lord's Supper, but to think of it as somebody coming at it, oh, yeah, let's start doing it every week, and people giving pushback to it, that's that's pretty unique. But that's, again, that's organizations, though. Anytime you, you yep. try to change something, no matter what it is, I mean, you, you talked about the change at your church, uh, you know, any change is hard for churches, and churches always revert back to status quo and to maintain what we've always done because that's what happens when you have you know a big institution they they don't like things to move and that's how it works. Well, and people that are leaders literally have to be out in front 
And so they're going to take the shots. If you get too far in front of your uh, your cavalry, they're going to shoot you and kill you. Yeah. On the other hand, if you're moving too slow, uh, you're going to die. Yeah. So I, I don't think there's ever a, a perfect balance. I think you're always pushing and pulling on those yep. in those situations. Yeah. No. I, uh, if you're not up front, the church is. If the leadership isn't up front, then the church is going to stagnate and. If you're out too far, then you've, you've lost everyone. And yeah, that's just a tough one. Well, and to me, that, that kind of fits into my stage of life that I, I, can, I can now better understand why uh, previous generations, they get to a certain point and they want to just maintain what they're familiar with, mm. what they're comfortable with, and they are have been detached from younger generations. Um that's again just falling into a pattern and going to sleep in my opinion people my age i've heard them push against some of the issues whether it's women's uh involvement or or whatever it is and my reaction i i I remember just a couple of weeks ago saying this to some friends that are about my age i said now do you remember when your parents started being offended or pushing against the changes that were coming up and the changes were actually coming from our generation and they were smiling and then my reaction was is it any different today with you and boy they raised their eyebrows and they got quiet yeah yeah no and that's i think there's a faith that god is still at work that has to cause you to be reticent to say that this next new thing that I'm uncomfortable with isn't from God. And if you have this trust that 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 God is still at work and that God is still moving this thing forward and that uh, the line that Dr. King made famous, that the moral arc of the universe is long and it bends towards justice, that th- there is a thing that God is making the world right and working in this broken world to bring love, hope, and justice, that that's going to make you uncomfortable because you get acclimated things that aren't right and that aren't just, but it's just normal. And yeah, it's, I I always think about change and go, okay, at my stage of life, the change is typically things that I'm comfortable with, but I know in 20, 30 years, I'm going to be on the other side of change. And yeah, there's going to be a group of kids who want music to sound like what I think is going to be awful. And I'm going to be want to, I'm going to want to support them in the same way that I've been encouraged by people who've supported changes that I know are geared towards people younger than them, and that's the sort of like generative generosity that I think we're all called to have. Okay, we have five minutes left on Felina. Okay, okay. What stands out to you? Uh, okay, I think her idea of contemplation being meaningful in a situation where you can't. reconcile the world and God being present like the 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 uh, just the tragedy of the I I think it was uh Boys Town I think that's the name of it in In Sierra Leone yeah the conflict Uh, over the blood blood diamonds diamonds. yeah Yeah. like that was just a just a, a a truly gross story and for all the people on each side who've been violated and hurt, it's just a mess. And uh, unless spirituality holds that all together, then it's not healthy spirituality. And I, I love the idea that contemplation help us, helps us do that. Yeah. Well, 
I am not putting a diagnosis on her. I think she said that she experienced PTSD. I mean, she's in yep. a situation where it truly is life-threatening. Uh, and it, to me, as a psychologist, that makes perfect sense that she, w- she might, or a person in that kind of situation might experience things of PTSD. You, you know, people talk about PTSD a lot, and it's almost like this the chic thing to say, oh yeah, PTSD from that. What exactly happens to people in trauma that causes reoccurring and lingering negative effects? I don't think there's one, just one simple answer to it, but the, the, the most salient to me is the trauma is so overwhelming they cannot process all of it. When they try to focus on it, their defenses block it out it's repressed, and now it starts manifesting itself in sleep disturbances and nightmares mm-hmm. and reliving it on, on certain levels. The primary treatment for that is exposure treatment, which basically says you get them to focus on the trauma as much as they can tolerate without blocking it out. So if I went through a trauma two years ago, I suppose press it as my only way to get through it and i'm going to be technical and say you repress it it happens autumn suppression is you consciously choose to ignore it okay you know you want to go to the movie tonight so you're not going to think about the test that you have for tomorrow so that's suppression but repression it happens automatically yeah it's so the anxiety is so high on a conscious level that whatever is the threat itself is pushed into the subconscious and consequently you're not able to process it effectively but eventually it's going to come back up and it's going to come back up in disguised ways initially so a loud sound might cause a person to overreact to it they don't understand why because it's repressed Mm -hmm. they have a nightmare Mm -hmm. and that is their conscience on a that's them trying to access it uh, allowing that information to come out so they can process it, but it's in such a disguised form that they don't get all of the work done. Yeah. So, through- so there, uh, Scott Peck in A Road Less Travel, the, he's a psychiatrist, is that yeah, right? Psychiatrist, yeah. He, he tells a story about a guy, uh, a client named George, who starts having these, uh, uh, these terrible thoughts that he's going to die and he like would have to go to this site that he had this ominous dream about like he would he would die in a excavation site or on a bridge and so he'd have these thoughts in the middle of the night he'd get up have to go to the place to conquer the fear that he he was going to die in a bridge or an excavation site and then he could go back and go to sleep and so this goes on obviously he's not sleeping obviously there's like serious dysfunction if you're having to do this every night at two in the morning or four in the morning or whatever and eventually peck tells a story in this book where he says george comes into his his office and says here's the deal george you have a childhood that was messed up you have a marriage that's you're unhappy with or that that's a, a bad marriage you don't want to talk about it and you have all these things that you're not dealing with and so these are your brain's way of saying you can deal with this thought Right, but you're not going to really deal with the real issue, and so that's like there's this repression thing that's going. Like you, you've got these, dare we say, these monsters or fears that you want to put underneath your bed. You know, someone should write a book about that. Yeah, exactly. Somebody will do that in the next year. Yeah, maybe, maybe by next October. Yeah, then you know, maybe next May it'll be out. Oh, maybe. Okay. Or wait, 
March. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it, theoretically, hopefully it gets done before March, so their publisher's okay with it. But, okay, so anyway, um, PTSD. You have yeah, this and, and part of the reason that's significant to me, or, or the, the, what she brought up about it was that she goes, doesn't she go to a local preacher who really doesn't know quite how to handle it, and the way that she conceptualized it is, what do you do with something that just doesn't go away, that there isn't a simple solution to? You're, yeah. you know, and, and the chronicity of an issue has been a big focus of my— The what? The, the chronicity, cr- the, the ongoing problem that just can't be solved. Uh, and and so, for example, I, I think she mo- she uh, used an example of maybe like divorce, of somebody who doesn't want to go through a divorce. Well, in a sense, they're always going to be divorced. Yes, they may remarry, but they still have a failed marriage. That's part of their history. It's part of who they are. I understand what the literature talks about, that many people are able to work through most of the issues within about a two-year period of time. But if you've had children, uh, then uh, with that first marriage, this is unresolved. It's ongoing. You have to continue to deal with this X for yeah. the rest of your life, That those kind of things. So in my area of chronic pain... What do you do when you have an illness or a chronic pain site that can't be resolved through uh, through medication, through physical medicine? Mm-hmm. What do you do with that? To me, I think yeah. uh, that's a very important uh, area for us to get to, where we uh, we try to 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 accept that. Oh, can you actually? Get to a point where you no longer need to have an issue resolved. Yeah, um, yeah. and I think that's the. I think that's what spirituality has to do yeah. is to teach you to sit in the paradoxes. And I, I think I talked about this on Suzanne Stabile's podcast of the idea of yeah, there's going to be doubts and there's going to be questions that you have, and at some point you have to let go and to receive what God actually is. Like so, that's my first book stuff. And like, there's a question of, well, that seemed, that could seem like this, like flipping, like, well, I don't care. Just let it go. It's a big deal. And I think that's the difference of saying, I forgive you just saying the words with, with no heart behind them. And then reconciliation right. of the flippant way to say, Oh, it, you know, it's no big deal. I'm just going to forgive you for, yeah, sure. You did this to me, stabbed me in my back. And you know, our, you were a friend who wronged me, but you know, no big deal. I forgive you. And then there's another type of move that says you hurt me, you wronged me, and the only way for us to get to the other side of this conflict is for us to go through conflict. And it seems like the same thing. Like, yeah, we're, we made peace with each other. Well, well, one is a flippant forgiveness, and the other is the hard work of reconciliation. And there can be a flippant way to say, oh yeah, there's paradoxes, and you know, you know, there there are terrible things that happen, but God is still loving. And I'm just going to kind of punt on caring about it. And there's another part that I think healthy contemplation spirituality get us to where I'm going to sit in the pain, I'm going to acknowledge it, I'm going to be aware of it and say, even though I feel this, I'm going to carry it, but I'm not going to let it end my connection to God. You, you know, uh, one of the ways I, I think about this too is with forgiveness, that is a letting go, letting go of your expectations mm-hmm. of the other person, wanting them to uh, 
somehow resolve whatever the conflict was. Reconciliation is a step beyond it. Mm -hmm. And in light of what Felina is saying, I I would say, oh, what happens when there is no way to reconcile with the other person? How do you live with it? Forgiveness is is the answer, but it doesn't always mean that you get the relationship back, especially if it's issues about childhood and a wanting to be accepted or loved by a parent, and the parent dies, there's no way that you're ever going to reconcile with them. But through appropriate spiritual work, I think you can come to forgive uh, the parent and accept that you'll never have those needs met by that person, but that doesn't mean you can't uh, get those needs met. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, Dad... Thanks for coming back on the podcast. Hey, it's good to be here. Yeah, I feel like we got everything wrapped up for the year. Uh, end of the year, final part of 2018. Anything you need to say to, to conclude the year? 2018. Mm-hmm. Man, the years go by fast. Yeah, they do. Make sure that uh, every year you live the way that you think is best to bring glory to God. There you go. I think that's a good thing to do. All right. Uh, Thanks for listening to the podcast. As always, I am very grateful uh, for everyone's support, for y'all continuing to listen, to download, and uh, thanks for all of you who supported the book. It means a lot to me. Thanks for all of you who left reviews and who decided to give it to your family for Christmas, because I think that's that's the real the real spirit of Christmas is buying my book and giving it to your friends. You know, I've heard that a lot of people are uh, giving books for New Year's. To start the new year yeah. off, get a new book. That's that's a, And what book should they get? You know, I think there's one out there, uh, Got Over Good, that would be one of the better ones. Well, there you, there you had it. Uh, that's what you should do from Dr. Norsworthy. All right, Dad. Thanks fun. for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.